In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, the scripture says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. I love that. If you seek him, the one who searches our hearts, if you seek the searching God, and you make what he's looking for, what you're looking for, he will allow you to find him. So we seek a searching God. Hallelujah. And the surest way to find him is with a heart that seeks what he is searching for. You know, the most important things that God has ever said in the Bible, he told us about the heart. The things he said about our heart are the most important truths of the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 23, most of you are familiar. My child, pay attention to my words. Listen attentively to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Guard them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and they are healing to one's entire body. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the sources of life. If you do a little word study where it says the sources of life, in the original language of the psalmist, he re was referring to the same word that we would use to describe the headwaters of a great river where the waters begin. So he says, guard over your heart. Watch it as the most important thing in your life because from it, the direction of your whole life will flow. All the forces of life come from the heart. So God's most important words were spoken about the heart. And I also want to say that Satan also knows this. And so because of it, the Christian's most dangerous enemy is a dull, passionless heart. We all know what a dull, passionless heart feels like. We all have had those times when someone says, oh, let's pray, and we just are dull. It, the last thing we want to do is pray. Someone says, oh, we're going to get together and worship the Lord. And we're just passionless, can't seem to engage our heart. That passionless, dull heart is your most formidable enemy. It is the worst, most powerful weapon that Satan uses against us. Give an example of how God sees it. Paul was in Rome, finally, towards the end of his life, and he was the, the Jews from the, from the local um, synagogues came together to visit him, and he shared the gospel with them. They all sat down, and he shared about Jesus the Messiah. And when it was all done, they had very mixed reviews. Some of them said, well, this is interesting, but others said... I don't know about it. Well, Paul had already spent nearly a lifetime giving the, the Jesus, the living word of God, and getting that reaction, not from the Gentiles,
but from the Jews, the people who have a covenant with God, the people of God. And so here's the people of God, and he presents Jesus, God the Messiah come in the flesh, and they're just nonplussed. You know, they're just like, eh, I don't know if we buy it. Their hearts were hard. And so Paul says to them, as they're getting up to leave, he quotes to them a scripture out of the Old Testament. And if they weren't ready to leave after they heard this, they were out the door. He said, quoting the Old Testament, Go and say to this people, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes so that their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. That is probably one of the saddest verses. My people cannot turn to me so that I can heal them because their heart is turned away from me. You can be turned away from God and not even realize it. The indication is a dull, non-responsive heart. The thought of fellowship falls upon a dull heart. Now, if your heart is dull, you don't have to stay that way. That's the wonderful thing is that, that Jesus opened that veil and access to the Holy of Holies, and then to help us enter in, he sent the Holy Spirit into our lives so we can stir up our spirit and the Holy Spirit within us by repenting, by calling out to him, by asking him to help us, by breaking our hearts before him. Whenever your heart is dull, you always feel like a hypocrite when you start stirring yourself up and, and you want to pull back and stop because you, you feel like, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. But there's something worse than being a hypocrite, and that's being a fool. Only a fool lets their feelings of hypocrisy hold them back and stop them. That feeling of hypocrisy is coming from your spirit that knows your flesh has been in control for a while. And so it's, it's why John said in 1 John 5, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. So let's not let feelings of condemnation keep us. Don't let the thought, oh, I'm being a hypocrite if I just open my mouth and give praise and glory to God. Because what you're giving, what you're saying is true. It's even true about you. You're just not feeling it. But if you begin, you begin to turn, you begin to come to the Lord, the Holy Spirit will begin His work. And after a while, that revival will start stirring. Hallelujah. But Paul quotes that verse, that tragic verse, their hearts cannot understand, they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So the key to letting God heal us, whether it's healing us individually, healing our families, our marriages, healing our church, is to turn. Turning is the answer. 
Turn and believe the gospel. Turn and receive from Jesus. We are told we must turn. I think those kids in that chapel just simply began to turn. And as they turned, the Holy Spirit was right there. You see, God desires to free you from every hold upon your mind, your will, and yes, your emotions. He wants to free you from every bond, every shackle upon your thoughts, your feelings, your desires. That, my friends, is the key to revival. It's when we let God break every chain, when we let God break every shackle, when we refuse to give in to dullness, when we refuse to let passionlessness last another day, when we recognize the dangers of a dull heart, and we refuse to stay under that stone, but it's too big for us to get out from under, we begin to cry out to the Lord. He has sent us the helper. The anointing will break the yoke. The anointing will break the chains. But we must cry out. We must call out to him. If we desire, he will come. If we desire the Lord, he'll move. Hallelujah. That's what revival is. It's letting God free our hearts and completely turning to him. Revival is really nothing more than hearts that are turning completely to Jesus with desire and with humility. So revival on a church level begins when the priority of our gatherings is about reaching God more than it is about reaching people. Show me a church that's put everything into reaching God and I'll show you a church where the unsaved are not far behind. Amen. That's the key to reaching people. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men to me. Amen. You holding on to Jesus, loving, being brokenhearted towards him, making him your everything, is what gives you power to be a witness for him. That's why he said, wait. Wait in the upper room until the Holy Ghost comes. They weren't waiting for their ministries. They were waiting for their hearts to fully land upon the altar of God so the Spirit of God could fill them. That was the power that made 3,000 people come forward and receive Jesus. Praise God. Isaiah 57, 15 says, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. When we are lowly and, hu and humble before God, and of a contrite heart, the Lord wants to take that contrition and fill it with the power of his joy. His will, his purpose, is not that we stay broken forever, but that we, in our dependency upon him, get filled with the revival of joy. He said, I dwell with the lowly and broken to revive the heart of the contrite. Where does revival start? 
in the heart. Say it with me. Revival starts in the heart. God said, I dwell with the broken and lowly to revive their hearts. That is where revival begins. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, there's a great key to how this is done. Paul writes, And because we are God's children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba means uh, Daddy, Papa, um, Dad. It's that intimate term that children just automatically use to refer to their, their father. So God, Paul says, sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Dad, here I am, here I am. I believe God's word to us today is free the cry. Loose it and let it go. Jesus needed a donkey to sit on to come into Jerusalem. He said, go into the town, you'll find him tied up. Say to the owners, the Lord has need of him. Release him. Lazarus was raised from the dead. He came out, he was alive. But what did Jesus say? The first thing, loose him and let him go. Loose and free the cry. Free the cry. There is a cry, Abba, Father, inside of you. The Holy Spirit put it there. Is it able to come out? Are you free to cry, Dad, Dad, I need you? We feel the need, but we don't cry out. The key and the secret to revival is free the cry. Cry out. Every revival through history, if you trace it, people attribute revivals to a variety of different things, prayer and fasting, and you know all of those things help to fertilize the condition of revival. But what ultimately brings the presence, the impacting presence of God, is when His people cry out. Because God revives the heart. The heart must lead. The heart must be out front. The heart must be vocal. What's the loudest thing out of your mouth? Is it Abba Father? Is it the heart crying out? Or is it your mind, your affections, your things you're interested in? Some people are so animated and loud and overflowing and they've always got a lot to say. My, my wife has accused me for for years, she said, you can't meet anybody without knowing something about what they're into. It's like, I find common ground with everybody I meet. I'm just one of those people. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're into that? That's really cool. I had this experience, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I'm always right there, ready to talk about whatever somebody wants to talk about. How quick am I to say, Abba, Father? Is the Abba, Father, is the cry, Dad, is that on the edge of my lips? Is that sitting on the tip of my tongue? Is it the thing that is foremost? Because when all of us release the cry and begin to cry out to God together as a body, 
revival will begin to come. God answers the cry of the heart. He revives the heart. I've already shared with you a couple of very important scriptures where God said, I want to revive the heart of the contrite. And in the New Testament, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So, <clears throat> you know, I haven't always participated in some of the popular quote-unquote revivals that have gone on in the past 20, 30 years or so. Because some of them just, there was just a lot of ridiculousness and absurdity in there. And those things, if you know what I'm talking about and you think, was I just dull or passionless or why wasn't I getting with all that? I think a lot of that stuff was the activity and the behavior of people who rather than crying out to God were so desperate for something new that they created it. They started doing new things. You know, when you find people that always have to have something new, that's evidence that they have stepped off the ancient path. They've stepped off the eternal path. They no longer find value. They no longer find life in that great ancient way, that path of righteousness. They're bored with it. And so they're dull of hearing, so they're running around, they want to hear something new. And Paul warned us in the last days, that would be one of the signs of the last days, itching ears, people want to hear something new. Revival is not God doing a new thing. When in the Bible it says, behold, I do a new thing, he was speaking of Jesus coming. Jesus is the new thing. There hasn't been anything newer than Jesus. Jesus is as new as it gets. Now, if you've gone through Jesus and you're not satisfied, then I don't know. Have at the gold dust and bark like a dog. Do whatever you need to do. But I tell you, if you really find Jesus, you find life. You've got everything you need. That's why when revival breaks out, sometimes people just sit. <coughs> like a holy bomb of refreshing and peace and joy has just gone off around them. And they're just being filled. And then they're, with their voice, they're praising and worshiping and singing. I love the fact that when I watch this uh, streaming video that there's no program. And they made a declaration at the beginning there would be no celebrities on that pulpit. I thought, God, thank you, Jesus. We're always looking for a leader. We have a leader. Amen. Jesus is the bishop of our souls. He's the shepherd of our life. We need to start following him. We really need to start following him. When we gather together, rather than waiting to see what the pastor's gonna do, let's gather unto Jesus and see what Jesus is going to do. You say, how do I do that? Abba, Father. Come 15 minutes early. Join us in prayer. Get so saturated in the Spirit. 
I think if we make a habit out of really pursuing Jesus, our times of gathering may turn into something unorganized, God forbid, unrecognizable, out of our control, but in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've spent a lot of years in church. I'm ready to be in the hands of the Holy Spirit. I've had enough of this to last me a lifetime. And I think it's wrong to fall into the trap, and that's why I'm saying this, I'm warning. Don't fall into the trap of saying, we need to do something new for new's sake. We need to be disorganized for the sake of making it look like a revival. That's nonsense. You see, the real thing is the real thing. Amen. That's it. Jesus is our leader. He's the real thing. So revival isn't God doing a new thing. It's God making a course correction. He's simply returning us to the path that we started out on when we first got saved. Hear what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 6 and 16. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads. Look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. We are at a crossroads. The churches of America have been at a crossroads for many years. And many have become antsy and said, I'm tired of waiting for this. Let's just crank up the lights, the smoke machines, the mirrors, get the lattes going in the, in the uh, vestibule or the narthex or whatever they want to call it. And, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's start drawing some people in. You see, if you're not going to draw God in, you might as well draw people in. Because at least then it feels like you're doing something. Surround yourself with people, you feel like, well, you know, we must have success. Look at all the people. But, but, God said, say to this people, stop at the crossroad. Don't just get antsy and go tearing off in some man-made direction. Stop and ask Abba Father for the old godly path and walk in it. Hallelujah. And you will find rest for your souls. Praise the Lord. Um, I want to close. I, I want to close with this. Out of Psalms, this is some thoughts that David shared as a man pursuing the heart of God. How lovely is the place where you live, O Lord of heaven's armies. I desperately want to be in the courts of the Lord's temple. My heart and my entire being shout for joy to the living God. How blessed are those who find their strength in you, Lord. And Long to travel the roads that lead to your temple. As they pass through the valley of weeping, he provides a spring for them. They are sustained 
as they travel along, each one of them appears before God in Zion. Earlier in that scripture, it says the way to Zion is in their heart. The way to the presence of God is in your heart this morning. And I don't want to go any further. The Lord's been speaking to me a lot of things, and you know, I'm sure that in his time they'll be coming out. But this morning, I believe the thing that, that the Lord wants us to do is act on this this morning. And our closing, closing time together, let's free, let's free the Abba Father. He sent the spirit of his son into our heart crying, Abba Father, can you Abba Father among your friends? What are we as a church if we can't come together and Abba Father? Dad, I need you. That should be the thing that binds us together. Hallelujah, bringing the presence of God. Hallelujah. So we're going to take these remaining minutes, however long the Lord keeps us, and we're just going to bring your heart. Each of you bring your heart before the Lord. Lord, my emotions, my mind, my thoughts, my will, my ability to respond and obey. Whatever shackles, hold them this morning. Lord, may they be broken. Take them. Break them. I want to be free to cry out to you, to call out to you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen.